Gaming NBS episode 187 coming to you Wednesday, April April 18th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. How you doing, Sean? Doing well, Brett. How are you doing? Uh, not bad. This weather has been a little crazy, as everybody has been talking about in oh, the Midwest yeah. area. We broke the record for April in snowfall, I think. I wouldn't doubt it. It did make it hell for my son to fly home. He's down at uh, Goodfellow oh. Air Force Base. He's getting a little break from the stress that is Air Force. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. That's all right. We all he's, need a break. So he's going to fly up Friday, then that got canceled. He'll show up Saturday during the day, that got canceled. Bump another flight canceled. Canceled. Seriously? Canceled. Yeah, he ended up flying wow. from San Angelo to Dallas, from Dallas to O'Hare, take a bus from O'Hare to Madison. Oh. Yeah. And Br- brutal. Ask me where his ask me where his luggage is. We don't know. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I think United's got it somewhere. He's made a couple phone calls. Yeah, they're pretty good about getting it back to you, I think. <laughs> they are. It's just one of those things. I'm like, wow, I sure I'm glad I'm not you, kid. I'll have, <laughs> to, bust, I'll have to bust out his, like, junior year clothes. <laughs> He's got, <laughs> he packed, like, everything up that he has, and we don't have any clothes from here anymore. I mean, he didn't have that much to begin with. So, lucky for him, his birthday was last month, so we had birthday presents for him here. And some of those were clothes, so he actually has clean clothes to wear until this happens. Well, I might have to take him and go buy some underwear or something, but oh well. Eh, just go commando, buddy. Well, that's right. He's Air Force. Never mind. Yeah, I can't do that. No. Anyway. He's got to have velvet. Velvet underwear. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. <laughs> Next time we see Mark Hunt, he's going to punch you right in the face. That's just going to happen. Her Wayne Humphleet wears velvet underwear. Well, that's uh, that's for different reasons. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, Wow. This Ooh. is what this went. This went PG thirteen. This really is what fast. you're in for tonight, folks. All right, announcements. Apart from Sean insulting uh, people, anyway, I love you, Air Force. GameholeCon submissions for events are open, so you can submit events <coughs> and say, "Hey, I'm looking to run some stuff." I did after the last show. I got two of mine in. I'm going to run a Trail of Cthulhu and an Avalon Five E game. So that's submitted. Not, I don't think they've gone through all the approvals and gotten them out yet, Sean. You got anything in yet? Not yet. What's going to take for you me know, to get you to do it? Well, it's just me determining what I want to run because I think I don't know if I want to run one system, okay, multiple times, or if I want to run two systems two different times. Hmm. <clears throat> you thinking of two games or one game or what? I'm thinking about at least two games. Yeah, that's yeah, this year. Excited. Yeah, I think that's a good. I don't know what's in store for us. I don't know if we're gonna we can record. Um, we didn't do shit last year, so maybe this year we do a little bit more. I know a couple people. I think Ed Edwin had mentioned how he would like to see us record a seminar or two, but sometimes it's just I don't know. Physically, physical setup is kind of a it's a pain like, in the ass. It's yeah. the way we either set it up ourselves, which is a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. or it's set up already and there's no way to patch into it. Like there's not a just a fucking port I can just plug a cable in. Or one of the last times we did it, we walked in, we're like, okay, I think this is the facility's gear. Turns out it was somebody else's gear. Yeah. We're like, okay, so then you feel like you try to get there early enough to set up, and then while you're fucking around, Monty uh, and Sean are sitting there very patiently, being very kind, and waiting yes. for us to get our stuff done. But um, I kind of feel rude if we take a while to get things lined up for them. So, ah, who knows? We'll see what we'll we can see- do. Honestly, last year there wasn't any real special announcement, is my understanding, where the year before, you know, Wizards was talking about, was that the year of Curse of Strahd, maybe? Yes. The other thing that could be interesting is that Monty's going to be back if um, Invisible Sun is live and happening. It may be Mm -hmm. interesting to get some perspective from him there. So that could be kind of cool. And maybe we rig a thing where one of us can go and the other one doesn't have to go. That's been one of the other things is coordinating times is when your game is and my game and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, yeah. get your games in, dude. Yeah, no question. We'll be do. We'll do. A bunch of listeners have told us on Twitters, the Facebooks, the G Pluses that they've got some stuff submitted already. So that's really cool. That's right. Looking forward to it. Yeah. 
All right, let's random encounter, man. Let's move it along. All right. Random encounter. All right, let's see. What do we got here? First up is Howard emailed us. Greetings from Mary, uh, from Old Mary, England. Oh, Howard. Englandy. Right. Englandy. This uses an old world spelling even. Yeah. Ooh, I like this Howard guy. Says hey, He says, I have been cherry picking uh, old back episodes and all the recent ones, and I'm only one behind now. Fantastic podcast. Emphasis is mine because I felt like I needed to pick me up today. Thank you, Howard. Man, he's, all, he's gone all the way back. And yeah, not bad. Holy cow, man. He's cherry picking, though. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's some fine. of those are worth cherry picking. <laughs> yes. Most you never know likely. when you're going to bite into that pit. And go, ah, what the hell is this thing? Spit that sucker out. <laughs> that one didn't. That one was not evergreen. Anyway, Howard, the kind gentleman he is, continues. I'm about to do some jamming for the first time in 35 years, and I'm bricking myself. I'm so-so with the mechanics, and I can hopefully stumble inarticulately through the narrative component, but my biggest worry is about handling character death. Back in the day, we'd think nothing of having to roll up th- one or sometimes more characters in an evening. The group I'm playing with now seems to have a much more precious attitude to them. I wonder uh, whether this might be down to the much more involved character building process for modern games. Players have to invest more time, so they're less happy to see the fruits of their labors impaled on a goblin spear around the first corner of the first passage of the first dungeon. Uh, the two other gyms in my group always seem to find a way to keep the party alive. I'm not saying it's wrong and the group seems to like playing this way, but for me the lack of real risk scales back the tension. So, do I run the game the same way, or do I play it quote-unquote proper hard like I would expect? How do I deal with character death when nobody has ever died before? Have you ever had this issue where an apparent precedent about character death has been set within a gaming group? Anyway, the show is top stuff. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Howard. So, Mm. first of all, I want to say welcome back. 35 years, man. That is no freaking joke, dude. No, that's a long time away from the screen, and that is congrats, man, for stepping up and doing it. That's awesome. More More people should do that. Yeah, good, good, good. We need more GMs out there for sure. Um, well, we've talked about character death before, Sean. We have. And kill them all. Kill them all. Kill them all. I say. Now, depending on the game system you're using, yeah. Um, five E. I've had people say hey, you can't kill a character in D and D five E, which is horseshit it, because I've killed plenty. It's hard. It's harder, but it's. No, I remember back in the old days playing. Everybody had you. Were, you weren't dead until you got to negative ten. That I don't know where that rule came from, but that was. I a, don't know either because it's not in the rules. I know it? it wasn't, but that was just the way my group played. That was a motherfucker to kill anybody, yeah. even first level us, characters. A lot of us did. I did the same thing. I think neg ten. I think it was maybe in a dragon article or something. Anyhow, ah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you're playing D and D, Howard, and depending on the variation, the version, and so forth, one of the things to do to get people worried is. You gotta beat the ever living shit out of the player characters, knock them down, and get one of them in a combat who's got to make some saves. They gotta start doing some death saves, right? And then after the first death save, even if it goes well, they go, "Hey, I got one." <clears throat> in D and D, you got three for up, three good or three bad, depending even how the first or second one goes. You look at the other players and say, "Hey, if somebody doesn't go over there and stabilize Falcor the Mighty." He might die next round. Using that type of language in the game, reminding these players that, hey, no bullshit. If you don't stabilize Falcor the Mighty, he could be dead next round if his dice are bad. And look how he's been rolling all evening. Ha ha ha. <clears throat> so you can use that type of thing. You can... Some people, and I think I've even said this before, you can kill NPCs that the characters like or enjoy, but those are NPCs. It's not quite the same as killing that soft, juicy, squishy character. Hmm. Sean, you got anything off the top of your head? What are you thinking? So what I would do is I would set the expectations with the player characters to everybody roll up at least two characters. Tell them up front, you're going to die. You're going to roll two. And then when they ask you why, just say, because when your first character dies, you'll have a second one. Okay? Just say that. Not that you're going to kill the first character, because that's up to them and the dice. And then I would say that you're going to roll in front of the screen for all that crap. I was just going to say that. As soon as you said up to the dice, I'm like, you know what? You let, throw it in fr- let the dice fall where they may, and everybody sees the dice where they fall? 
You just roll that shit out all the time, all the damage, all to hit out in front of everybody, and you play it that way. So when those guys, when those guys and gals take, you know, thirty points of damage on a first level character, it's it's there it is, you know, and you're not pulling any punches. So I I would wonder, I'd be curious from Howard, like um, those game masters that are not really killing the party and they're keep when he says they seem to find a way to keep the party alive what are they doing are they like rolling behind the screen they're not hitting or they are rescued at the last minute or some or kind what? of gm fiat of, right. oh you're not quite no no no. you're just unconscious you're just unconscious you got right. clatter of fake dice roll uh two rounds to get to him before he dies or something right hmm. whatever it is but i would say Here's the deal. Don't spend a whole ton of time on your characters at first level. You're going to flesh them out, you know, background, maybe a couple sentences or whatever. That way they're not doing a huge journal for a character that could possibly die. So, first of all, they're not spending a shit ton of time, and then you're killing them, and then they're getting pissed off because they spent all kinds of time. You could do pre-gens. You could do pre-gens, but then a lot of people don't like pre-gens because they're not. The the investment. Yeah, they're not their character. But that's what I that's what I would do is is I would just put it out there and then go all right here we go combat you know but you got to be reasonable too because if you take that stance they may think you're out to get them and that it's all going to be you going to kill them so you as a game master may want to tell them like hey if this is like going into a particular area of a map you could tell them like hey there's some really bad juju in there just so you know, and you guys are first level. Let the characters make the decision, be their subconscious to some degree. Mm-hmm. But when the shit hits the fan, man, you let the dice roll and let, I mean, here's the deal. The dice for you could roll like crap and they could overcome it and slaughter it and be yay hoo, yahoo. But eventually one of those guys is going to fall because you're just going to whoop up on them really bad. And here's one thing. You get somebody that's unconscious Man, you just get that monster in there and be like, oh, an unconscious. I got somebody that's unconscious. I'm just going to freaking go up and step on him. Yeah, that's the. I'm going to go and eat the, him. That's the Matt Colville, the Earth Elemental, steps on, de- on your head to make sure you're dead. Yeah, I'm going to rend. Yeah. I'm just going to pull you apart physically. Yeah, in the small, you, juicy junk bits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,. I don't know how many encounters we've all played in where it's like, holy shit, I'm down, and nobody fucks with you after that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. And I, uh, I've, it's not, it's not like I've taken perverse joy in it, but sometimes taking, if they've had a certain safety net, and you tell people like, look, hey, you know, I'm not going to have the safety net. You tell them up front, as Sean said, and then you take the safety net away. One way to do it is when I say kill an NPC, if you're rolling the dice in the open, there's the NPC guide with them. Hey, here it is. And then the ogre throws a brick. You roll the die. It hits the NPC, and then you roll the metric shit ton of damage, and you he's dead. It does twice his hit points in D&D 5e in one shot. He's dead. There's That's instant death. He's gone. There's no save. There's no nothing. Motherfucker dead. So that's like, um, wow, he rolled in the open, and look how much damage that does. And then people become nervous and worried about that because, hey, how many hit points did that guy have? Well, he just did 23 points of damage. That was over twice that guy's hit points, and he was our rent-a-thief. Holy shit. My mage doesn't have that many hit points. Eh, well, there you be. So, but I like your idea, Sean, of, you know, kind of lay it out there up front. And the other piece is if you know what the mechanisms are that have been used in the past, yank them out or explain to people, like, hey, that's not how I'm going to do this. The other piece, too, is say, hey, I want to try this. See how they enjoy it, and give it. Tell them to give it a couple sessions. Maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll have a real good time with it. You may have a group of people that just flat don't like that shit, <clears throat> and there's nothing you can do to change them. At least not right now. So in that case, you may give it a try for a little while, and they say, "I don't like this. I don't like being feeling like I'm going to die all the time." Blah blah blah. Whatever their rationale is. But if you want to keep jamming for them, that's you can keep doing it. You can save them. It's not the end of the world. It's not not wrong, bad fun. You, if the crew's having fun, you're having a good time, and you fudge a little bit to keep them alive, nothing wrong with that if that's what you and everybody else is having fun doing. 
So if you try your thing, it doesn't work, and you have to, quote-unquote, have to go back to the save-everybody's-bacon perspective, eh, not the end of the world. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so Howard, then, oh, sorry, keep going. I was going to say, then how do you deal with character death when nobody's ever died before? Well, there's only one way to deal with character death, really. Is you got like, to kill one. You just got to roll up another guy, I guess. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Roll up another tune. Yeah, it is. Very true. I mean, the party could do the resurrection piece. You could always throw that in your campaign if you want to throw that in there. Or Yeah, then it becomes a quest. We have to take Falcor the Mighty and have him go get resurrected somewhere. Do that. Yeah. So I'll tell you, Howard, if you've got more details on I'm wondering what, what game system you're playing, right, that you're going to run. And um, if you've got examples of what they've been doing to keep people alive. But I think the... As long as you are not seen as out to get them. Right. As long as you're not seen as a complete nutter prick who's just trying to murder someone to prove that life is, you know, worthless in this world. It's it's crazy, dark, and brutal, and I could kill you like this in a minute. Eh, that's a little over the top. But as Sean said, the dice fall where they may. Look, hey, man, it's not me. That's the second critical in a roll. That dies hot. Guess what? Another 15 points of damage to your thief. Son of a bitch, I'm dead. Yep, well, you're dead. That's how it goes. The party can always run away. Yes. That's up to them. Yes. Make a, make them make all the choices. Yeah. They should. Mother, they, f- you stay there. Yeah. They need to learn the magic words, which are Marines, we are leaving. <laughs> they need to learn. They need to watch aliens, and they need to know the magic words. Marines, we are leaving. Anyway, go. good stuff, though, man. Howard, if nothing else... After you get through the first session or two, I'd love to hear how it goes, man. Yeah, after the rest of the players kick you out of their group, we <laughs> you would can be come game with Bre- You can come game with Brett. Oh, we'll play with you. We, we would be interested to find out how you will find your next group and how you will reposition <laughs> your dilemma. Yes. I would say if you really wanted to, if, you, if you'd been gaming very recently and were up on having lots of different game systems or whatever, I would say the other thing to do, <clears throat> be grab like Dungeon Crawl Classic and say, we're going to run a funnel. Yeah. Little tunes just fucking die left, right, and center. There's no way around it, you know. So, yeah, and the players don't need anything. Like they just need your pre-gens or yeah. funnels, and you can run everything um, with with the rule book. All right, Very yeah, cool, some man. good stuff. You have to let us know how it works out, buddy. Absolutely. Over Eric's here. Eric Saul's Weedle comments on episode 186. This is another really good topic. He's on G plus. You guys have been on a roll with the last few episodes as far as topics go, in my opinion. I learned how to play D&D from some old-school dudes around 1991. They had very little flexibility and were rules purists. You were not really allowed to do anything unique or cool in their games, so I feel like that I unfortunately did this as well through my teenage years and into my 20s. I feel like I probably squashed some player creativity in the day, so now I am a lot more cognizant of it. Games can feel quite oppressive if the person running the game never lets you do anything cool. That being said, I attempted to play with a roommate many years ago, and he was a WoW guy. World of Warcraft, for those of you. Uh, nothing wrong with WoW. I have burned quite a few hours of life away on WoW myself. We were playing in the Forgotten Realms setting, and it was using 3.5 rules. Uh, he really wanted to be a druid druid but he wanted to be a seven foot tall human druid that had a riding dog and he eventually wanted to become that dragon sorcerer prestige class can't remember the name of it when i asked why he wanted to do all this stuff his response was it sounds cool in the end i explained to him how huge of a dog it would have to be for a seven foot human to feasibly ride and it was simply not an option i also explained to him that it was unlikely he would become this dragon sorcerer thing because he was starting as a druid and that isn't really something a druid would do. He was disappointed, but I think he was more of the mindset of a wow druid and really didn't understand tabletop RPGs. At some point you have to say, sorry, dude, that just doesn't make sense for this setting. I ran D and D for my son's uh, 12th birthday party this last Friday. And one of the kids who was playing, it was only the second time he's ever played. The last time he played was last year at AJ's birthday party when I ran. <laughs> and he's like, I want to shoot it in the an- annual thing for this guy. It is. The other the other kids have played with me and with AJ a bunch of times. And one of them, I want to shoot him in the eye. That way he can't see it. So there's no call shots in this game. Oh, 
I mean, it's not like this other video game thing. You said, yep, it's, it's not like that at all. There's no called shot. You just roll and hit. If you roll a critical, then maybe something really cool can happen. We could describe something cool. But other than that, it doesn't happen. Oh, okay. And there were a couple other pieces throughout the game where kids who were very used to video games that I have I don't play video games. So they were <laughs> listing off this thing, that thing, whatever. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. It works like this over here. Okay, that's fine. Now, granted, <clears throat> these are 12-year-olds, and I'm a 45-year-old dad, right? You're sounding like a fucking drip, buddy. <laughs> they had a blast. No, you, you can't do speak. that. No, you can't do that. Sorry. That's no, well, you, gotta no beat, you can't do that either. You have to mentally beat the kids down for a while first. That's how you <laughs> keep them in control. These kids are probably so <clears throat> excited at the end of the game, they're probably like, well, I'm mm-hmm. done. I don't have to play this anymore. That's why they're excited. Wah, wah. They had they're... fun, God damn it. <laughs> they didn't have any they, choice. They had Brett fun. They had Brett fun. No, they had a blast. <laughs> Bodies flying. They got polymorphing and doing crazy ass big magic things. It was it was nutty. Anyway, what I'm saying is that one thing I found um, Eric, to Eric's point is that you get somebody who's used to playing a certain type of thing or a different type of game, and be it a video game, board game, whatever. They've seen a movie. They really like it. I want to do just. I want to be just like this thing. You can't be just like that. It helps to start off the whole level set up front. You can't do that. It doesn't work quite that way here. The closest thing we could get... Oh, you want to be like a dragon sorcerer? You'd have to start like this and work your way towards that. That's the closest thing you could get. Oh, now this other thing is kind of cool. You could do this. So it's kind of a... You're taking this dude's idea of what sounds cool and moving into what is possible within the setting. And, yeah, it's basically it's that... Sometimes you have to say no. No, it doesn't work like that. No, that doesn't fit. And you got to put a border on it. However, if you just say no... You know, it's kind of the, how do you, don't do that, because it doesn't work. You could do this other thing, which is equally fucking cool. It just looks different, or whatever. You could send them in that direction. So, interesting. But yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes you just, you need to say, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't make sense in the setting, and you need to, you, you can't do that here. You have to have a limit on it of some kind. Like you, like it needs to get done. You tell that twelve-year-old kid if he wants to do if he wants to shoot something in the eye, he's always welcome at my table to do so. All right, he can do that. Go, hey, that's not this isn't Sean's game. Yeah. You want to do that? Go talk to Sean. You want to play some weird Monty Hall? Give him whatever they want <laughs> bullshit game like Kelly runs. Yeah, yeah, I, I know a guy. I know a guy who's a complete pansy game master. He'll send you his way. He'll put you on a railroad to a treasure hoard. That's what he'll do. That's what I'll tell him. That's fair. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Eric. Good stuff, man. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Next is, oh, God, uh, Twitter comment. So Ludicrous Limes on Twitter had posted this up. Michael Allhauser had called it to our attention. <clears throat> and Ludicrous Limes says, question, is there a way to organically introduce questions slash plot hooks other than to say? Quest. 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 Quest is shorter than the word questions. Quests, yeah. You yes. said questions. No, I said hooks. quests. You did, did I say questions? I thought you did. That far. All right. Let's start rewind at, that. Start at the beginning. Let's re- rewind the recording back. Question: Is there a way to organically introduce quests, side hooks, <laughs> plot hooks, other than to say an innkeeper or object that says, "Go here, do a quest, get the thing." I feel lately I've been beating my players over the head with directions, so I want to improve on that. Sean, I assume you just continue to beat your players over the head and say, look, this ticket only goes to the Giants. It's all you've got. There isn't any other way. There's an NPC with a question mark above their head, and if you go up and, you know, if you get within a few feet of them, they will tell you what you need to do. So, apart from from that horrible approach... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've done this before in the past when you start in an end or you, or you want to introduce panic. I do. I have done this with um, my Iron Shoes storyline that I've run at a couple different cons now. Is the players are there? They start off doing a thing, and then NPCs show up in duress, almost dead, beat to hell, begging for help. It's pretty obvious that's the thing they should the players are going to look into, right? Here's the thing: you've got young runners of Hermes show up. <clears throat> they're flopping left and right. They're missing body parts, either half slashed, stomped to death, whatever the case is. It's terrible. 
what are we going to do to solve this problem? It's not good. Um, when the you're in the inn, using a D&D type example again, the door bursts open, and the blacksmith says, Oh my god, they've got Becca. What's that? Clearly something's going on. He's addressing it to the group as, as a whole. The players don't react. Everyone else says, Oh my god, your daughter. Whoa, who, who got them? It's the bandits. They're back again. It's the red sashes. Well, okay. If the players insist on ignoring anything dramatic as that, or even better and twice as dramatic as that, it's sometimes you kind of break the fourth wall and you can look at the players and say, what the hell does it take to get you off your ass? <laughs> what is it that you want to do? If you're not going to do anything, you know, what are we here for? I think it's kind of interesting where sometimes I vacillate sometimes between, you know, introduce things nicely and, hey, here's a dramatic way to do it, you know. The Miller's wife comes in, falls on the falls on the at the feet of the players, and begs them to save her husband. You know, Princess Leia, help me, Obi Wan. You're my only hope. You know, Luke could have went, eh, it's not my thing. I want some power converters. That's all I ever wanted. Some fucking power converters at the Tashi Station. That's what I'm going for. Fuck this shit. That would have been a dick move by Luke's player. I mean, it just it's it's a it's a thing though. I mean, we try to introduce things dramatically, graphically, wonderfully. And sometimes players don't want to do that. And maybe it doesn't seem glaringly obvious to them. Maybe somebody has to walk up and say, I hear your adventurers. I have a bag of gold, chink. That, that says you must you know, head off and do a thing. Or I promise you more gold if you do this other thing. Maybe I've got to bribe them. I don't know. But other times I've looked at players and said, look, I've given you three different things to do. If you don't want to do that, tell me what it is you want to do. I got nothing else. What do you want? I've said that to groups before. <laughs> what do you want to do? I've given you three or four different things to do here. What do you want? When the frustration sets in. Sean, what yeah, do you what's, think? What's the player's motivation? What's the player character's motivation? Throw it in front of them. Slap them in the face with it. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be go here, do a do a quest, get the thing. But maybe it's just pretty a lot of things in the fantasy space is go here, do a quest, get the thing. Is how you frame it. Yeah, it, so, that, that's the dramatic, right? The framing yeah. is great. Maybe you're hired. Yeah. Maybe somebody's hiring you and you put in a little role play and it's not, it is, hey, I need you to go here because I have a quest for you <laughs> to go and get this thing. But it's think, an NPC that pitches it to you. And then and when, once you get it kicked off, who knows what the hell could happen? If you're starting a campaign, you can do the whole Emidia Res thing. You're standing outside the tower of the elephant um, because you've been sent here to do this thing. Oh, okay, this is where we're starting. We're already in the middle of a quest. We start immediately just outside the door to the thing that has the quest in it. We can do that. You're right, though, Sean. I guess if you know what the character, who the characters are, what their motivations are, if they're cool, uh, the players are giving you something like, hey, I'm driven to kill orcs, or hey, I want to find my, you know, my brother who was taken to a different planet. I want to try to track him down at some point. Hey, I'm trying to hunt down this person who shot my partner. Or if you've got a game like Gumshoe where your character drives things on the character sheet that says, I am driven to do this thing. This is all part of who I am. <clears throat> if you know what drives those characters and the players, then you grow right up to those heartstrings and start yanking on them. Right? Oh, wow. This uh, You made a character that want, has to save people in distress. Here's a small horde of people in distress. You made somebody who must avenge murders or has to look into this or is really into the occult or whatever the case is throw those things in front of them the players are going to play their characters they're they should be looking at that going ah yes that's right in my perfect self i will grab onto that and start rocking and rolling with it but i have as i said in the past when the frustration gets to me like what do you want to do what else do you need to do i've given you these this 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 you've walked away and ignored everything what is it you want to do this evening you can always ask the player, like, what are two things that your character wants to accomplish in the next year of his his or her life? Mm -hmm. And then, but the see, I think sometimes what happens is DMs come up with the idea and they pitch it to the player character and the player character has to be like, okay, and they have to latch onto it and they have to go with it. Man, put it on the player. And then now you got to be able to adapt and say, all right, well, my players want to, one player wants to do this, one player wants to do that. Maybe I can overlap the two. And then you come up with your, your scheme after the fact. It's weird. I just, it's, it's goofy. You think about 
you know, Howard's question about a party that's never died before. They're not used to having characters die. You want to do something different. Dude, here, have, here, them here. Roll, have them roll all up and have a TPK. <clears throat> yeah. And then go, okay, now let's get on with the adventure. Like, <laughs> a party that was here earlier all died. <laughs> We're going to send you out there to rescue them or find them or whatever. They disappeared. No. And the other thing here is like, you know, if this person says they feel like they've been beating their player over the head with directions, sometimes it's the players like that. You gotta I, carry it, a bigger stick. Perhaps. <laughs> well this this goes to the, the statement though that, that I'd said about Howard's players, that group. If they like it that their characters never die, that's just how they like to game. Okay. Yeah. This right. crew could be the type of crew that this game master, Ludicrous Limes, as Michael pointed to us, says, Hey, um, the only way these cats will actually move is if I hit them overhead with the plot hook stick. That's what they're waiting for. They have been trained to wait for the plot hook stick. They will Pavlovianly grab onto whatever hook you throw at them, as long as it's got a great big neon flashing sign on it. It's true. So sometimes you can be like, look, sandbox type approach. Here's the city. Um, there's these things that you've heard about. Your characters are all... You are into this, you're into that, you're into this. What would you like to do? And to Sean's point, lay it on them. Kind of in la la West Marches type of thing. Look, there's three different places you can go. There's a limit to choices. There's three places you can go do this. Well, I don't like any of those. All right, you stay at the end and do nothing. What do you do? <laughs> <clears throat> you know? But if they're actually here to play a game, be it, you know, Call Cthulhu or whatever it is that they're playing, it's like, look, here's what's going on. What are you going to do about it? And if they choose to sit and do nothing, well, then the world keeps spinning. And maybe it gets worse and worse and worse, and Cthulhu rises and everybody dies. Hey, maybe there that's the go. thing that happens. Yeah. The end. <laughs> the end. Anyway, short version, though, is if the, this group may well be, and I'm not there, so I don't know, they may well be trained that this is how you operate. This is what they're used to. This is what they like. They want to show up, and it's D&D night. Tell me what we're doing tonight. Sean, we're here to play D&D. What's the adventure for us today? Well, I don't know. What do you guys want to do? That's not why I'm here, Sean. I want you to tell me what to do. Tell me where we're going. Some players are like that, and some DMs are like that. If you don't want to do that, you can have the honest discussion with the players and say, look, um, there's a lot of different things you can go, different directions you can do here. Think sandbox, kind of wide open. Here's the here's the situation. What are you going to do with it? And then see what they do. They might surprise you. They may not even know that that's, that's such activity is viable to them. They may think that they're just supposed to wait for the plot hook to whack them upside the head. I that's don't right. know. Maybe. Got anything else, Sean? No, we should move on. Let's move on. All right. Green topic, buddies. <laughs> All right. Main topic. You ready, Sean? Oh, man. So this one's from Blake Ryan. And uh, he sent us a little note a while back and was talking about using things from other games. So as examples, so we kind of understand what we're bouncing off of here. Blake had said, like, using Githyanki, Githrezi, Mind Flayers in a Conan or a Lankmar setting. Uh, it's not part of the setting, but could you insert it? Taking the Vampire Clans from the old uh, Vampire of the Masquerade or uh, any variation on that theme. Uh, from White Wolf, and inserting that setup into a D&D or even a Shadowrun game as PCs, NPCs, something. <clears throat> He's talked about using Tyranids in your Dungeons & Dragons game. If you don't know what Tyranids are, Tyranids were Games Workshop Warhammer 40K answer to the aliens from the movies Aliens, where they're actually gene stealers. They um, murder people, plant eggs in the bodies, and whatnot. Gross. Very much just like that. Ew. So... I th- I read this. I'm like, that's kind of cool. I've done that type of thing before. This kind of a cross connection mashup thing. Um, so I don't want to. Hmm. <clears throat> Sometimes the first example I gave, like you know, using it, using a mind flare in a Conan setting. Conan is kind of a a weird fiction in a way. Conan had, ran into some crazy ass shit. Lankmar has some weird things in it as well, which is one of the reasons why it fits really well. And the DCC um, uh, milieu, as they're as the folks at Goodman Games are putting Lankmar box set together. But you take something like the Dean, like uh, the Vampire Clans from World of Darkness, and slide them into Shadowrun, maybe, or slide them into D and D. That becomes kind of 
bizarre, almost a clash more than a mashup or a cross connection. So figured we'd talk about this type of thing, see how we go. So, Sean, let me ask you up front. Have you done this before? We've taken something and said, hey, I'm going to insert goblins in my spycraft game or anything crazy like that. Or I, don't want any peanut, that. I don't want any peanut butter in my jelly, man. No I don't pe- want any of my chocolate in my peanut butter. None of that? You're, just, you're, you're a purist? Makes me t- it makes it taste like shit. Seriously? No, I guess I could. I don't. I don't. I haven't done too many mashups. So I would probably if I if I did any, mm-hmm. and and uh, it something that may appeal to me is maybe a little bit of the conspiracy, maybe X Files, maybe a weird monster in like an espionage game to give it a little bit of a weirdness. But you got to be careful with that crap, man. Especially yeah. when you're doing genre, like yeah, because you could get you could yeah. get the bait and switch feel, right? You're crossing the streams a little bit. If you are doing someone Knights Black Agents, which is Jason Bourne versus vampires, it's, right. it tells you on the box this is Jason Bourne versus vampires, basically. So when everybody sits down to play Knights Black Agents, they know that's coming, which totally sucks. Yeah, I don't want my players to know. You want this. Oh, when we brought this up as a bait and switch before, you're like, that's a terrible idea, Brett. Well, yeah. Surprise, vampires. Well, they were talking about, there was, I had seen some folks create player character sheets for Knights Black Agents, and they took off the vampire, like the vampiric uh, knowledge skill. Yeah. Just so that they wouldn't know what the hell they're doing dealing with. Wouldn't automatically gravitate towards it. Right, but anyways, I guess I guess I would do it. Um, I don't think some of the stuff is that he brought up is too crazy. Like I'm not a big Lankmar guy, but I mean it's still kind of uh, Middle Ages. Well, yeah, it's a D and D fantasy type world, and a right. with D and D fantasy type monsters wedging right. in there. Yeah. I think when you're doing something like if you say, hey, we're going to run a modern horror game, it's going to be investigation, and there's some, it's horror, right? So you're going to deal with something. All right, cool, it's horror. And I'm, a common thing, at least around my table, is that the horror has some Cthulhu mythos component to it. There are deep ones, there's Yogg-Sothoth, there's, you know, Tostakwa or whatever critter I'm pulling out. Like, oh, it's Cthulhu, basically, except we're using a different system. Instead of Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu or something that's specifically geared towards it. Um, I have not, or, you know, even Hounds of Tindalos, whatever, I have not done the, like, hey, we're going to play Dean, we're going to play Shadowrun and then slide in Cthulhu. Like, shocking, like, oh my god, Cthulhu? Fucking hey, Hounds of Tindalos in the corners? What the fuck is going on? <clears throat> Although it, Shadowrun has enough fantasy to it, you could pull something like that out with the magic and so on. But uh, yeah, I see some of the the usual cross connections mashups I get tend to be you know a modern setting with some with some fantastic elements to it. Um, where I, I ran a game one time where there's a bar in Chicago called Jake's Corner Bar. I, I use the same thing in my uh, um, Bad Magic setting. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Jake's Corner Bar has some private rooms. One of the rooms in it, um, if you've got clearance to go, you can hang out. And there's elves, pixies, fairies. You can order unicorn meat. There's crazy-ass shit that's there and available to you. It's bizarrely kind of it's kind of a clash to the rest of the setting. It's just one of the few places where such things occur. But it is like a weird twist of adding some heavier fantasy if you will, in this more dark urban fantasy type of thing. But I've not done anything like where I would take a Githyanki from first edition AD&D or an Aboleth or even Goblins and put them into my, you know, Call of Cthulhu game. It just wouldn't feel right or it would be awkward. And I think some of it kind of comes down to how the what the setting would allow. It's, it seems interesting, though. It seems like there's there's got some potential to it. So, well, I, I would have to ask why. Yeah, why okay. Want, that's why a good point. Want, why do you want to... Why do you want to... Because I think... Now, not that you can't do this and that 
it's a crazy idea because it's not. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put that out there before people and think I'm, you know, ragging on Blake for some reason. But first of all, why? And secondly, you have to be careful because if you're going to put goblins in Call of Cthulhu, then maybe you're not playing Call of Cthulhu. You're playing a 1920s game with fantasy elements in it. I mean, maybe it is called Cthulhu Rules, but how much do you start throwing in different aspects of another game or different creatures from another game, and then it borderlines on a different game? So if I was playing Dungeons AD&D, and I use Rome as my setting yeah. with some fantasy to it, that's not Dungeons & Dragons either. Right. It's like playing Weird Wars 2. Like it's, if I said, hey, we're going to play a World War II game, and everybody's going to be soldiers, and I'm going to send you on missions, and it's going to be like Kelly's Heroes and Force 10 from Navarone and all these you know, old like army mission-based. And then five guys turn into werewolves and fucking gut somebody. Right, right. Holy shit. Right. So maybe that's kind of cool because people will be like, holy shit. But at the same time, if I said, hey, we're going to play Weird Wars 2, they're going to expect something goofy to happen. So if you and we should say this is this is set this is a lot of setting this is not rules yeah this is more this is more setting than rules yeah and I think that's kind of the piece here right and so it is fun and you're right one of the things we talked about at the, at the top here one of the things that is interesting to me is surprise you know the the feel of wonder or some kind of a surprise like oh I didn't know what that was if you're playing Knights Black Agent there's a surprise because the way the vampire operates how it works is it a a cult vampire is it a space vampire is it a <clears throat> biological warfare vampire there's all different variations of vampires so that can change it up but at the end of the day they're fucking vampires they're vampires there's no way around it they're vampires in the game that's what you're going to deal with so if you say hey we're going to play a world war ii game i'm going to do something different in it right i don't want to tell you what it is because it could wreck the fun but i'm going to mash up a different idea i've got what is it? I don't want to warn. I don't want to spoil the fun. So let, let's just try this and see how it goes. Or hey, we're going to do this thing. So there you go. I think that would satisfy the urge that some folks have. My crew wouldn't really care as much, but I do know some people want to know up front what's coming so that they know what they're signing up for. Right. But you could play that a little loosey, where you say, "Yeah, it's going to be World War Two." Kelly's Heroes, we're going in. Okay, fine. It's going to get a little weird. All right. So people think, ah, whatever. Then you come around the corner, and there's like two illithids sucking somebody's brain out of the back of his skull. They're like, what the fuck? That's not werewolves even. Oh, my God. They're not zombies. That's a goddamn mind flare. What the hell is that? But you, you warned them up front that something weird's going to happen. You know, this is like dusk from dusk till dawn. That's what we're talking about. A little bit, yeah. A little bit like that. So for those of you that haven't watched it, I think it's Tarantino's first movie, isn't it? No. Are you Reservoir, sure? Reservoir Dogs was his first movie. Oh, that's right. You're right. But Dust Till Dawn, George Clooney. Tarantino's in it. Tarantino is in it. Robert Rodriguez did Robert work. So go and see that. It's It starts out as two criminals, and then they and it goes all crazy sideways. Yes. But you kind of knew it was going to get crazy sideways based on the poster for the movie. If you saw a trailer, true. you were That's warned true. it's going to go true. crazy sideways. That's true. I think I've said this before. The first time a friend of mine said, hey, we're going to go see this movie, The Matrix. This is Keanu Reeves, kind of a sci-fi thing. I went, all right, whatever. I had not seen it ad. I had not seen anything for it. I saw that movie as raw as I could in a theater. I went, holy crap. I was completely yeah. shocked and blown away because I had no <laughs> preconception and no insight into it at all. It was, it was. It made that movie probably a hell of a lot better than it had any right to be in my head. Yeah, the first opening scene, chicks running up the walls and shit, and you're like, holy fuck balls. Yeah, I'm like, what, what the hell is, is this? About? this? Yeah, it was crazy. crazy, crazy kung weird. fu moves. Yeah. Whoosh. So, so the, an, an advantage for doing this is that you take you take something very familiar at their setting or whatever it is, and then you take mind flayers, goblins, Cthulhu creatures, werewolves, and when you mash it together... They're two things the group knows. Like, oh, it's a mix of those two things. The group knows... Their characters may not know about werewolves in a Weird Wars game or whatever. and But they do. 
So when they see it, they as players, sometimes you get a feeling like, hey, I know something. I know more about the world actually than my character does, or I have insider knowledge that most of the other characters and people around this world don't have because I, Brett, playing this character, know something about werewolves, and I get it at this moment. It's kind of that that um, you've got you've got lore right that nobody else has. That's kind of cool. But I think I think some of the disadvantages are that it, it if you don't <laughs> if you tell people up front what it's going to be like, hey, it's going to be weird wars with illithids. Well, okay, people know what that is. If you try to do it subtle, like hey, I'm playing in the Forgotten Realms, and I drop in creatures from Eberron, people are like, well, okay, I guess it's a portal open or something, gates, kind of D&D, I guess, um, where you're, you know, you're Ravenloft, kind of, you you mix those things up, or whatever, or you take something like Tyranids and try to introduce them into D&D, a, a thing that happens there is, my first thought would be, well, if you want a bizarre creature race that plants eggs in people, and then small ones burst out of them. Mind flayers do something similar, and so do Slod. Slod do something like that. You can do Slod. Um, in some of these games like D&D, being that it's been around for a really long time, if you look through a lot of the official monsters and creatures and such, there's a variation on that theme because it was very popular. When Aliens first came out, suddenly lots of these games, people did things that were very that were similar in some way, shape, or form. So some of it's out there, and you might end up trying to cram too much work into something. You know, the other thing I think, Sean, you, you, you hit on it at the beginning is like, why, why are you doing it? Yeah. Are you, are you trying to keep it mysterious? So it's not your standard, typical setting or your standard, typical monster, or is it cause you like D and D and you like 40 K and Tyranids would be pretty cool in D&D. Yeah, or Tyranids would be really cool in the Wild West. So in right. my Boot Hill game, there's Tyranids. Right. Cowboys and aliens. Right. And I guess we didn't really get it from Blake, but would you use the same terminology? Otherwise, you could probably do this with any game. You could just be like, hey, you go into a room and there's this weird thing standing there. Yeah, I mean, you, you could if you describe... use descriptive terms, not names. Right. Or rename it. The locals call it X instead of something else. It ap- operates right. exactly like a mind flare does. You just don't call it that. Well, and I think the examples that he provided aren't way out of line. I think you, like, it's not modern and you're thrown in a beholder. Yeah. Like, hey, it's World War II and you go into a room and there's this freaking floating thing that's got an eyeball with stocks coming off of it. So is that too far then? Is that like, is the, the key when you do the, when you do that kind of piece, it needs to be closer because what, why is a beholder? Uh, not why, I guess it's <laughs> obvious question, obvious answer, excuse me, is a beholder is weirder than a werewolf. Yeah, it is. Sure. It is weirder. But I'm talking about straight, I'm just straight in World War II game. Yeah. If but it was if you weird wars, it, maybe if it was weird it, wars, then it probably wouldn't be a big deal. But if you had a straight World War II game you and you decide to introduce something different and you put a, werewolf in it or a zombie or a Frankenstein monster, right. you'd be like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess. But if you threw a beholder in, you'd be like, ah, come on, potentially. Or maybe a predator. Okay, yeah, interesting. From predator movie. <laughs> I don't I think the so hard. Pa- I think the hard part is that it's the sla- these just kind of slapdash it in there, like, hey, I just want to spice it up and say, hey, here's a predator. Or is it because if you don't, you, you if you telegraph, it goes back to why, right? If I'm trying to do something different and crazy, I have to telegraph it a little bit so I don't have a mutiny on my hands, right? I guess. You, you guess or you don't care well, if you have a mutiny? Fuck those players. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll be like, this, this is freaking awesome. Yeah, that's potential. <laughs> DCC players, man, they love this shit. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you could be playing. Right. I mean, that's like uh, Barrier Peaks. Some people love that right. damn adventure. Yeah, robots and laser guns. Spoilers. It's right. it's crazy, but people, a lot of people love it. Some are like the weirder the better. Yeah, if you've got a group that totally grooves on that, you could right. add weird in anything. Would you Would you tell people though up front, Sean? Hey, we're gonna play this game, but it might get weird. Just be prepared. I might do something crazy. <laughs> would you warn them, or would you be like, nah? 
Or surprise these fuckers. I'm pretty vanilla, man. I, I don't know if that makes me boring as shit or what, but I just, I don't know if I would get too crazy. Okay. I, I wouldn't get too crazy without bringing it up ahead of time. All right. Or it's going to be a group that I know that's played with me, and I just have to say, you guys got to trust me. And that they say, okay, fine. If they know you, they'd never say that. Fair. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But I think that, you know, I I don't know. You could go off too deep of the rails. I don't think anything like Blake brought up in his examples are that big a deal. I mean, if I threw, I don't know, if Vampire in Shadowrun? Actually, yeah. it's kind of handy because it would, what something like that does, and this is perhaps another piece of this that I hadn't thought of at the beginning when I was crafting the crafting um, Slapdash in my notes together, speaking of Slapdash, is uh, the vampire clans in that organization is if you had Shadowrun, you said, hey, I want to do something with vampires. I think the vampire setup in Shadowrun blows. If I took this organizational structure of how vampires operate and just grafted grafted it into Shadowrun, that would be cool. Yeah, okay, you suddenly have taken something and added more meat to it, right? Yeah, I, I was, I mean, I've always been on the fence with Shadowrun because I'm not a big fan of... Elves and dwarves and trolls and my cyberpunk. Oh, I see. Just, I tolerate it, and I'm like, okay, just can't handle it's too wild for you. It gets it gets hand waved by me. Like when I'm playing, oh, I don't okay. think of the other races that are next to me. I just think that they're just different people. Because I I just think the cyberpunk piece comes out more so than the fantasy. Okay. For me. So, but if there are vampires in it, I mean, I'm playing with trolls and elves and dwarves and. If I remember right. Shadowrun has vampires, at least it used to. It's it probably does. Other rules. It probably does to some degree. I mean, there's a freaking dragon that runs yeah. a huge part of the world. That's true. So, I mean, what's a vampire to throw in there? I mean, not, not that big a stretch. Yeah, or if you want to take the vampires from Vampire the Masquerade and use that as the basis for all the mechanisms and stuff in your Knights Black Agents game. Again, it's vampires to vampires, except you have a pre-populated, pre-built set of that critter and how it, sure. how it operates and so forth. So the other piece is that if you take things that you're familiar with and use it as spice for something else, even if you were to play, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you're playing D&D and you want to take a monster from a totally different, like Tyranids, you're like, I want to do something like this that has creatures that are very, very similar, but I don't want to make it aliens or tyrants, but you take <clears throat> components of it, you know, the way aliens, you know, uh, put eggs in people's bodies or this, that, or the other thing. Um, you want to take a piece of how it functions. Sometimes when you take those those things, layer it into or kind of slather it on what's going on around you, the players who know that thing then get to go, oh, my God, it's just like the Aliens movie. Oh my God! These things behave like this. So then there can be kind of that epiphany of like, Oh my God! I think I know. I don't know what it is, but I understand something how it operates. Even if you're playing, you know, weird wars. There's werewolf, as in like yeah. werewolf the apocalypse. You could always take werewolf creatures from there and slide them in, whatever. Hmm. Sure. Interesting. Sure. I guess I could if I had any knowledge of, of the world of darkness. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy knows no world of darkness. But you like I just know I just know the titles of the games. So let me let me put it to you. Let me ask it to you this way then, since this is not something that you're. I mean, because you're pretty vanilla in the way you run. At least you kind of stay more pierced to the genre. If this happened to you, if you were a player, would you prefer that I forewarn you, or would you, or would you prefer to be surprised? Depends on how crazy it got. Okay. It depends on how crazy it got and how far it went. Okay. Like, hey, we're playing werewolf now. Like if if it goes from D and D to playing werewolf, that that goes back to the bait and switch. Okay, thing. that's that's too crazy for you. Yeah, that would be too much. Because then, if, well, then why don't we just play werewolf? But if I was going to play, <clears throat> I'm using Savage Worlds or playing a World War II game. In the yeah. middle of it, zombies and a sorcerer attack your party. <sighs> you know, I I would probably be open to it. It wouldn't it wouldn't miff me too much. Is that because uh, of the? Uh, the mythological slash bizarre cult concepts of Hitler and people being in the occult and all the sure was, yeah, was that, that could why be that the premise but is that yeah. why it would be easier for you because you're like oh yeah probably. he's obviously tapping into that cultural phenomena thing yeah probably 
That I'd be and that and I'd be waiting for the shoe to drop. Oh, there it is. That's that's what we're dealing with. Got it. <laughs> Not saving Private Ryan. Getting freaking eaten by werewolves. Oh yeah, there's Private Ryan and there's a mind flare eating <laughs> his brain. Ah, ah, see, fuck that Ryan guy. Okay. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So. So the. You- <clears throat> So would you prefer? Uh, so the depends thing does make sense, obviously, because everybody's got their own tolerance level. If I were to That's try right. to mash up something too crazy, I'm going to break the continuity too far for you. Well, I mean, there's an aspect of one game going into another, and if you're crossing the streams and one becomes more than the other than you originally started, then I think you're starting to venture into a different game. You know, it's like play, playing the werewolf. Uh, vampire, right? The vampire houses or whatever yeah, it is in clans. World of Darkness. Yep. Yeah, clans. And then you start implementing that really, really heavily. Maybe it's the system thing, right? So maybe you just like playing this other system and you like the setting that is vampire. Okay. Fine, I, I get it. But then maybe you just want to flesh that out with the player characters or the players and let them know. However, if you start merging that too much, then why the hell not play vampire? Because I don't like that mechanic, and I just want to use just a mechanical system. And that's fair. Fair. But maybe bring it up, man. Like, hey, we're going to play Savage Worlds, and I'm going to implement all the vampire shit. I just don't like... People do that all the time. Shit. Oh, hell yeah. Christian Sexy sexy Voice Serrano, man, he's got all Eberron ported over to Savage Worlds. Yeah, because he loves Savage Worlds. Yeah, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that's going to be, hey, we're playing Eberron, we're just using Savage Worlds rules. But we're we're not talking rules in these scenarios but i think we have to be careful of that because if you do take something too far right if you're taking D to D D, right so githyanki don't necessarily fit in perhaps dark sun or don't fit in Dragonlance, and you try to slide one in there might be awkward you come up with some sort of a ecology of the creatures perspective and all right suddenly there's mind flares in Dragonlance. i get it and there's githyanki okay fine the mechanics work because you're still playing D and D to D and D, and that that seems okay. If I take creatures like Tyranids and migrate them in to a game system that isn't at all Warhammer 40k or something like that, but still got a fantasy crunch to it, you know, may have to do some conversion craziness to make sure that the creatures work quite the way you want them to, or swap them off for slot or something like that. I think you're right. If you go too far, then it doesn't become, oh, wow, we were playing a Wild West game and suddenly I'm dealing with trolls or skinwalkers or something mystical that I wasn't ready for. But I know that's taken over everything. It's not just a monster of the week to solve or a problem to fix, right? Now this is what we're doing and this is all it's about then you may ask the question, how come we didn't just break out this other game system, which maybe does it better or what we should be playing because it seems like that's what we wanted to do. And you didn't tell me that we were going to play, you know, Monster of the Week. You said we are going to play Wild West, you asshole. That's what you're going for, I think. That's right. All right. Interesting. Okay. Interesting, interesting. All right. I think we're good, man. You ready? Yeah, man. Let's move it on. Die roll. Right. Let's go ahead, Brett. Sure, I got two of them. I had these up on our G Plus community. I want to make sure I called them out. Um, some board game shelving. Uh, it was really pretty cool. And uh, this is one of those things where um, one of our listeners had posted it up, and I saw it, it was really freaking cool. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to make sure I share it here. So there, there it's being shared. And uh, another piece I had found was there's an archive of, an audio archive of occult readings. Some kind of crazy stuff. If you are uh, doing any Call of Cthulhu stuff, Mystic Games, anything you need, um, you can hear trances, paranormal music, strange sounds from 1905 to 2007. So kind of goofy. Lots of plenty of weirdness here. So cool stuff. Audios always can be fun to slide them in your game. So thought I would share those out. Sean, over to you. Meeple stock is coming June 15th, 16th, and 17th in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Meeple stock, eh? Meeple stock, yeah. It's a gaming convention in Stevens Point. They'd ask if we would attend. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'll be able to make it. But when is it? Spreading the word. Meeple stock. Meeple stock. 
When is it again? I'm looking, looking, looking. June, huh? Mm. Yeah, June. Uh, one of the ladies who comes to Evercon may well be there. Uh, she has huge oversized games, like like massive oversized meeples and stuff that she runs. I see. I bet she's going to be there. Interesting. Cool. I, have to, I might have to go yeah. take a look at that if I got time. Cool. Neato. Number two, new tabletop RPG lets you play as your friends. There's an article by Beth Elderkin. It's the game by Liam Ginty or Ginty. Uh, releases the game Mirror. It's a one-page RPG. Um, he he kind of wanted to find out what it'd be like to see how well each friend knows each other, and I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? Let's look at really good. So, <laughs> um, so Sean's kind of weak, simple-minded. <laughs> give him a three yeah. in this. <laughs> like, yeah, Brett's kind of dumb, much. obnoxious. So give him a zero charisma. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. So, link in the show notes for that. And then, lastly, Battlestar Galactica is getting a tabletop miniatures game. Article by Luke Plunkett. I don't think it says who's actually developing the game, but it's you know I don't. There's not a ton of ships in Battlestar Galactica, at least the most recent. So it's not like X-wing, but this article says it's going to be at Gen Con. Yes. Interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's all I had this week. And uh, listeners, Kevin Thulu pointed us out to a cool Kickstarter for a leather Call of Cthulhu campaign journals, which is pretty slick. Um, as of today, the uh, 15th of April, this thing still had about 12 days left in it, so take a look at that. That might be interesting to you. Bruce Cunnington had told us about a skull in a British pub. I love this little article about some mutineers and how one of the skulls ended up in this British pub. Um, when you <laughs> talk about plot hooks, right, you've been going to this tavern or this place for a long, long time. And, uh, there artifact just happens to be sitting in the corner. No one quite knows how or why it got there. Fun stuff. I like it. Very gameable. And, um, this was yours, Sean. You put this one out there. Diogo Nag, I apologize that Diogo, but it's Diogo Naguera and Noguera is doing a Kickstarter called Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. It's a rules-light star and sorcery RPG with an old-school spirit. So as we record this, there's about two months left. It's already funded. He was looking for like a couple grand. It's on Indiegogo, um, and I think he's at like $4,000. So if you like your star and sorcery, go and check that out. He, He... Apparently listens to the show and said, hey, got this Kickstarter going on. That looks kind of cool. Yeah. So check that out. Very nice. Uh, I want to thank DSIL86 from Canada for the review on iTunes. Thank you very much. It's very nice. And then what are we doing next week, Brett? Well. Oh, boy. This one, uh, people have been saying, Sean. Come on, man. Go feedback. No, I'm kidding. Brett and Sean, I've been talking. Sean and Brett, Brett and Sean and I. Whatever. All, us, all of us, all of our personalities. Sean and I have been talking about doing this for a while. And um, we said, you know what? We talk about advice and thoughts and whatever. And sometimes it's interesting, or maybe interesting anyway, to go through how you do a thing live in a way, or at least record how you come up with something and then ex- so then people can see a process. So what we're going to do here is next week, Sean is going to build an encounter yeah. on the show, and I will snipe from the background and, mo- and mock him with, without mercy <laughs> as, he, as he fumbles his way through laying tracks for a brand-new railroad. <laughs> It'll be straight out of a module. Straight out of a module. So uh, flip, 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 sound of pages turning. It says here. The Apparently there's four, N- there's four NPCs, two in this room, four in that room. So, Sean, do you have any idea of what, how you want to do this? You're thinking about like a D&D type of a, I guess, fantasy one? You're going to go sci-fi? You're going to go Star Wars encounter? What are you thinking? Yeah, that's a good question, Brad. I don't know. I'm not sure. Because I have no idea how to build like a Star Wars encounter. Oh, well. I would be like, yeah, there's a Twi'lek. That's one of the few races I know. Um, and a space human. Ah, no two. Um, and a droid. Yeah, droid. Okay, three. I'm, I'm doing good. I have no idea how to build one of those. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's hard to build an encounter depending on whether you want to do social or combat or either, right? See? It's, it could go either way. See, those yeah. are things. That's all interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So Sean's going to build an encounter. And then 
I'll probably do one the following week. Ooh. And we can compare contrast. No, I'm kidding. It's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. Everybody does it differently. <clears throat> and sometimes I know, like, my son AJ will come up and ask me. Um, he'll be working on a map. He was working on a, a world map. I'm making some cities and adventure ideas. And um, I asked him a couple questions. He's like, hmm, how would you do it? And I said, oh, this is how I do it. He's like, oh, I'll try that. Oh, and he comes back later and says, I tried that, but I didn't like it, so I changed it this other way, which is totally fine. But sometimes it's just the seeing how somebody else does a thing kickstarts your own brain to say, oh, I don't like any of that. I could do it this other way. Or you say, wow, that was really cool. I'm going to steal that from my next piece. So anyhow, next week, Sean will build an encounter. We'll see how we do. That sounds like a plan. It'll be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Homework. All right. Well, that's been another episode of Gaming ABS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming ABS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finn Ulf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, Steve, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Viteri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Stefan Dragonspawn, Agonegis, Rolfer Guild, Gordon Cranford, and Eric Salzweedle. To include Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert. Thanks, BSers. For other ways to support the show, head over to GamingBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.